to the book of Habakkuk. And if it's a struggle for anyone, just go all the way to the New Testament and start flipping back through chapters and you'll find it. It's very, very close to the New Testament. And you may want to put a marker there or, or if you dog ear your pages, feel free to do that. We're going to be in the book of Habakkuk for the next little while, up until Thanksgiving, really. And we're going to begin with uh, just reading the first 11 verses, and that's where we're going to be today. But I'd like if everyone would please just um, bow your heads with me. We're going to ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, above all else, we want your will to be done in our lives. We want to be made in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, every single day, more and more. We want to reflect your glory, to be the light in this valley. We want to march out and declare the truth boldly as you have called us to. Yet, Lord, in this world, there are difficult things that are before us. And one of those difficult things is the question of evil. So Lord, as we consider these things this morning, and over the next few weeks, we ask that you would please open up our hearts. Lord, for some of us, maybe they've, uh, they've got a little layer of ice on the outside, and, and we've resisted you for a little while now. We ask if that's the case, Lord, that you would please break that down. Break away any callousness off the outside of our hearts, and Lord, we want them to be as wax in your hand you might be able to mold us and make us into who you've called us to be. So Lord, with our next moments, would you please be here with us? And would you please guide and direct our thoughts? We ask this in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, Amen. I'm going to read the first 11 verses if you follow along. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, Violence! You will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. They fly like an evil eagle, swift to devour. That was just eagle, not evil eagle. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. So um, 
I've been asked about these for a little while now, so you do have these in your bulletin, little sheets to go along uh, with the sermon, the points that are here. And uh, the first point we're going to look at is the fact that evil is real. Evil is real. And that comes to us in many different ways, but one of the truths we need to consider is um, sometimes evil has a face. We all know this to be true. Many people would say this is one of the most evil men that have ever lived. And he did some mighty, mighty evil acts. And we wonder why. Why did God let it go on for so long? We think about those who were oppressed, those who were marched into the concentration camps. We think of those who were separated from their parents. Just these small youths that were separated. They were the oppressed. Sometimes evil has a face. This man was also believed to be one of the most evil men who ever lived. He killed more people than Adolf Hitler. He was responsible for more deaths and in the end tried to make himself look like a hero. He had many during the great purge that were oppressed. They were those who were being purged out. And we think sometimes evil has a face. It's true. In certain situations are evidence of the existence of evil. Certain situations are evidence of the existence of evil. Here we think of such situations as the dispossessed. Those who live on our streets every single day. Their next meal comes to them from how well they are able to go out and collect from other people. This is almost a forgotten group. And I want just for a moment to read out of a passage of a book actually called The Dispossessed by Dr. George Grant. He went on a little mission trip. He dressed up as a homeless man and spent three days out on the streets in major cities. And I wanted to recount to everyone this morning one of his experiences about Crazy Red Basque. Seven o'clock mass is a popular attraction for the homeless on cold mornings. St. Patrick's Cathedral is the first warm building to open anywhere in New York. So though I was reluctant to leave my spare but comfortable accommodations at the YMCA, I knew I'd best be there on time if I were to meet up with any of my new companions. The cold cut through me like a knife and the sidewalk slush soaked quickly through my old shoes. I noticed several men rousing themselves from a park bench slumber as I passed through Central Park. Their mounds of blankets and overcoats obviously soggy from the overnight ordeal. The sight sent frigid shivers up and down my spine, and I walked on anxious for the warmth and solace of St. Patrick's. The huge bronze doors admitted me into the cathedral's insular domain Vast aisles, soaring cross vaults, magnificent stained glass, thousands of sputtering, flickering candles. Several dozen homeless men and women scattered here and there among the early morning patrons. I stood gawking at the sight. So, you need a tour guide or what? Startled out of my wonderment, I turned my face to my inquirer. <coughs> I don't know what I was expecting, certainly not what I had now beheld. He looked like a derelict Santa, 
Long white beard, matted and stained, jolly countenance, scarred and weather-beaten. Red Basque, he declared, thrusting his unwashed and calloused hand toward me in greeting. Crazy Red Basque, they call me. You Catholic or just getting warm? Uh, just getting warm, I replied as I took his hand. You're green. I can always tell. New to the streets. That's why I made the offer. The offer? Tour guide. Show you the ropes. A few tips. Trade secrets. All that. Oh, I see. Well, thanks. Red was a ten-year veteran of the streets, so he really knew the ropes. In the next few hours, I would learn more about homelessness than I had in five years of serious research. A gift of insight given me in the house of God. He showed me the best places to eat, to sleep, to pass the time of day. They say beggars can't be choosers. They're wrong. He guided me through the stream of tunnels uh, under the Park Avenue, long known on the streets as Hobo's Haven. This is one of the places jack rollers is at a disadvantage. Us slecks have got him over the barrel here. He taught me how to bypass the subway turnstiles and pointed out all the most lucrative scams, hustles, and cons. Just don't mess with the books or the Montes. And he warned me to stay away from the public shelters and horrid welfare hotels as well. You got a better chance of making it on the streets. It's safer. Red had worked for the city and the Parks and Recreation Department for six years, but then the city went bust and they laid me off. City's okay now, I hear. Now it's just me that's bust. Me and all the other skells. After a hearty lunch, scrounged from the restaurant's wholesaler surplus, Red bade me farewell. Got me business to attend to. Stay away from the shelters. See you at mass, huh? And he was off, checking payphones for forgotten quarters, checking the trash barrels for abandoned treasure, and I never saw him again. You're kind of one man. We hear stories like this, and really it doesn't affect us too awful much. We think of poverty as something completely different than what it actually is. In a third world country, poverty doesn't mean we don't have in our cupboards what we don't like to eat. It means we don't have a cupboard to eat from. There are millions of people that live on the streets. And you and I have to imagine as we walk by in Washington, D.C., or New York City, or uh, even in smaller locations, why? Doesn't God see this? Why is he allowing these things to happen? So we looked at evil having a face. Evil certain situations being evidence of. But uh, about a mass situation that everyone here can relate to. Everybody remembers this site. It scared us all. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in men's study. Everyone remembers exactly where they were when they first saw this image. And it has to make us question within ourselves, why? Why? Evil's existence brings about two false assumptions about God. These are very popular. You will find these as you're speaking to people, people that want nothing to do with our Christian faith. There's two assumptions. The first one is that God is evil. He must be. He's allowed the Holocaust. He allowed Stalin's regime. He allowed the Twin Towers. He allows millions of people to be out on the streets tonight with no place to sleep. So the assumption is, God is evil. And the other assumption is, okay, you say God is not evil. I will say, okay, I will believe you, but if God is not evil, then God is good, but he's powerless to stop evil. 
These are two assumptions that you and I will hear again and again and again. Watched many, many debates, read many, many books. Every atheist assumption is if there is a God, either he's evil or he's good and powerless to stop evil. The question of evil is always before you and I. And these assumptions have implications for how we operate in this world from our day to day. And somewhere in our hearts and our minds, we've begun to believe one of these two lies. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. But the truth remains, if neither of those two are true, then where can we find truth on this? Well, let's look at our passage just for a second. Habakkuk 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Many of us have either prayed or wanted to pray a prayer like this. God, why are these things happening? Why do you just sit back and allow these things? Why are you so idle? Why are you doing nothing at all? And sometimes it seems to us as though evil is winning. Sometimes. And it's easy to be overcome by that. If torn and tattered relationships that are difficult for us to make it through friends that used to be our friends that aren't anymore and we don't know where we went wrong or how it can be fixed. God, why aren't you restoring us? Where are you? We've suffered a loss of maybe a job, a family member, and we're just having a, an impossible time trying to get through it, and the question on the tip of our tongues is, where are you? Why does it seem as though evil is winning? And sometimes maybe it's a little less broad than that. Sometimes maybe it's more specific. We're not wondering why is evil winning. We're wondering why God is not listening to our prayers. Because sometimes it seems as though God is not listening. Give me an amen if you believe it. Amen. I believe it. Sometimes it seems like I'm praying, God, will you just, will you just, if you just, then I will. And there's no response. God, where are you? Why is it that, I, that, that I'm crying out to you and I hear nothing? Let's go back to the passage for just a moment. How long shall I cry to you for help and you will not hear? How many times have you been down on your knees and you prayed and prayed and prayed and there's no response? It's like, boy, this ceiling's thicker than I thought because he does not hear me. Or there's a particular situation where there's just wickedness and violence and evil seeming to rule and reign and you say God will you see to this and next week we hear of another shooting another terrorist act another person leaving this world without Christ he asks why do you make me see iniquity you see what he does he knows God is sovereign he takes us and puts it in his hands why do you make me look on these things 
And why do you idly look at wrong? See, there it is. The problem that many of us face from day to day. We're a lot more deistic than we think we are. Because we believe that God created everything, yes. But this particular issue that we're having, he wants nothing to do with. He does not want to touch that. So he sits back idly and just watches these things happen. It says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. Have you ever felt that way as though just justice isn't happening? This is not, how can this happen? This is not, this is just. This is not justice. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. That's probably even harder for us to swallow sometimes when any measure of justice is tainted with some sort of evil someone prospering from it we say why why are these things so and the point is evil is real it's not something we can argue about evil is real But we need to know with all of our hearts that God knows what's happening. It's like sometimes we pray and we think that we're directing God's attention to something that He does not already know exists. Children starving. Infants being marched off for their slaughter in the womb. Like God has no idea these things exist. But He does. Look what it says in Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Uh, notice, everyone, what that says there. Their justice and dignity go forth from, not the Lord, from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press on proudly, press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. God sees what's happening to his children. Even when you and I feel as though we're forgotten, we're not, God sees and that's hard for some people to swallow because God's looking on my pain and knows that it's happening, yet nothing happens to correct it. And we say, God, is this just? This isn't just. You see what I'm going through and you do nothing? This is Habakkuk's plea. But in God's answer to Habakkuk, he says, no, 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 no. No. You don't even see what's happening here. God sees. God knows. And God is not 
surprised by evil. Like all of a sudden, we did something to trip him up. He knows you so well. He knows every hair on your head. He's named every star. He holds them all in place. And oh, I can't believe that guy was capable of doing that. No. God is not surprised by evil. But also, and very important, God is not implicit in evil. You say, well, that seems contradictory, doesn't it? God is not surprised by evil. He's sovereign, yet he's not implicit in evil. How does that work? Well, James 1.13 gives us our answer. It says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God does not do that. We do not have the right to do that. It says in Scripture, Let no one say when he is tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted. When Let no one say when he is tempted. That means all of us are in that, right? There's no one excluded. None of us can say when we are tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There's no evil choice that's before you that God is tempting you to lay hold of. It does not work that way. He does not work that way. Yet he knows. He knows about the Chaldeans. He knows this is some scary force that's about to come upon his people. Habakkuk saying, how can you let these things happen? He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans. He knows what they're like. And he's giving them a short time to have power. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like a wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. It's their strength. Their might is their strength. So yes, evil exists. And yes, God knows that it's happening. And be encouraged. Because God is not idle. These are four words that I want to roll off everyone's lips this morning. We're going to say it together. Are you ready? God is not idle. One more time, louder. God is not idle. He's not. What does it say? It says, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. What does that mean? It means that we can't see the whole picture. We can't see beginning to end. And guess what? He can. We see this thing before us and we are stumbling to try to understand and it seems as though evil's going to win. God knows exactly how this thing is going to end. He's not surprised. He's not surprised. God is working in ways that we can't understand. Too often we try to think like God is some man, like just a superior man that we can appeal to. And God's not a man. God's not a man. God is working in ways that you and I can't understand because he is infinite and you and I are finite. 
You and I have limits not only on our life, but on our understanding of life. Neither you nor I know the end of our days, but God does. God is working in ways that we just can't understand. We don't have the ability to. He says in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's doing things in your life right now you don't understand, and I can't even begin to understand. Relationships that He refuses to allow to be repaired. We don't know why. I don't know why. I'm not going to give you an answer for that. But I will give you this answer. He knows. He knows. And whatever He's working out in this thing, it's for the best. It's for good. Because God knows what's around the corner and you and I don't. You and I just don't. Look among the nations and be astounded. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. It's a question. What storms are there in your life? I would challenge you this week to write them down. Maybe you don't want your spouse to see it. You don't want a loved one to see it. Fine, write it somewhere secret. And be honest and be bold and be serious. God, this is what I'm going through. Take a step back. And see if you can notice. See if you can notice. What evil is seeming to have the upper hand? Because it always seems like this is what's happening. This gives us a, a defeatist idea of how to live life. Well, they're going to win anyway. Well, evil's going to prevail anyway. Well, there's not much that can be done about that situation because it's already too powerful. We think we want to see change in our nation. We're like, oh, well, we can't have that change because it's already to that point. Is that what Joshua did? Is that what Caleb did? Is that what Moses did? You and I are frightened to go talk to someone about Christ. Imagine going and talking to a king who will have your head. Elijah was by himself. He had no friends. He was from a place that you and I can't even pick out on the map. Any map that we have within the back of our Bibles and you look for Tishbe, it has a question mark behind it. We don't know where it is. That's what God chose to use. A man like Elijah. He had no one on his side. Only the Lord. He didn't believe that evil was going to have the upper hand, even in front of a king that had turned the hearts of an entire nation against their God. He went forth boldly. Look at Gideon, that coward that's arguing with God. He ended up being one of the bravest warriors Israel had ever seen. He didn't look on a situation and say, Oh, evil has the upper hand. I'm not going to do anything about that. You and I have to know we have to take heart. And we have to look and see, wonder, and be astounded. When was the last time that you did any one of these things? When it comes to our circumstances. 
try to understand from, from God's perspective the best that we can. When's the last time you looked at a sickness that seems to be prevailing or looked at a financial situation that seems to be prevailing and look and see and wonder and be astounded because God isn't done there yet? This is not some health and wealth nuts gospel thing. This is the truth. God did not just wind up the watch and set it on the dresser and walk away. God is intimately involved in everything you do, everything you say, everything you think. Every single situation that is before you, He already knows. And what's amazing about that is when you pray, He listens. He hears your prayers. So we need to look, see, wonder, and, and be astounded. Why? I'm going to repeat a couple points because they're, they're important. Because God sees what is happening to His children. So, see, look, wonder and be astounded because God looks down and He sees what's happening here. And for some people, that's a little disheartening. It's a little unsettling because, well, what I'm going through doesn't seem very good and God promised good to all those who love Him. But it is good to those who love Him. He sees what's happening. And he's not surprised by evil. You got a loved one that's really giving you a hard time right now, really running your name through the dirt. God, can you believe he did this to me? Can you believe she did this to me? Yes, he can. He knows the depth of darkness of our hearts. He knows how fallen we truly are. And he knows how much we need him way more than we know how much we need Him. He's not surprised. God is also not implicit in evil. Remember that. This thing that we're asking God to look into, we're not asking Him to withdraw His hand. We're asking Him to act. Because He's not implicit in evil, though He allows it. It's not from Him. And lastly, and most importantly, and I just want to really encourage everyone this morning in this, because I know some situations that people in here are going through that are tough. God is not idle. He is not idle. He's not sitting back watching you suffering. He's not sitting back and doing nothing about it. He's doing something. You don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And we can't even begin to imagine, oh, God, please, just help me to understand everything. We can't. We're finite. If you and I sat down for just a few minutes and we thought about some tough situations we dealt with 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, or more recent, five years ago. Even think of situations that you dealt with a year ago that are not a situation today. Now look back and see God's hand at work. If we had not gone through that, we would not be able to fill in the blank. If God had not spared us in this area when we needed Him to, we would not be able to fill in the blank. Think of surgeries that you've went through or seen your loved ones go through. If you had not been through that, you would not be strong enough to face the challenge that's ahead of you today. God is working for good. And God is not idle. He's not idle. He's not done yet. Do not put a period on a sentence where God has put a comma. 
It's not the end of the story. Each person in here has a certain number of years God already determined. And at the beginning of those years, God began to write a story. So for some people, it's 40 years. Some people, it's 50. Some people, it's 60. Maybe some aren't quite there yet. And the moment that beautiful spark happened where we were beginning to be knit together in our mother's womb, God started to write a story. And the story started with you kicking your mom, with you coming out into the world whatever way you did, her being surprised by your hair color, your eye color, being surprised that none of the other children are quite as stubborn as you are. God began to write that story. He hasn't stopped. And there are different characters in our story that God has written in there. Some characters, if we were to rewrite, we would do without. Amen? God, why'd you put this guy here? Some characters we had for a short time, and it's difficult now that we've lost them. God's not done with your story. He's still working, and he's still writing it. And for those that have embraced Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that story's going to continue on and on and on. And I pray that there's a legacy left behind for those that do pass before his return and children, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, that that story is still told so that they can know that in your life, God was not idle because God is not idle. Will you join me for a word of prayer?